0: My sermon passage this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. This is indeed a well known passage. It is subject to much interpretation and understanding. And so we will seek to go through it and gain understanding of what the Lord Jesus is speaking of this morning as he talks about divorce. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. This is God's word. Listen attentively to it. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we ask for wisdom. We pray, dear Lord, that you would enlighten our minds. Father, we know that this is a sensitive discussion that the Lord Jesus embarked upon in his day, and it continues to be such today. Lord, we pray for your grace. And we ask, Father, that you would impart it to us as we study your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the following or similar words should sound familiar to most of you. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful husband or wife. In sickness and in health... In plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. Now most of you who are here this morning who are married, uh, you have said words like this. You have said words that are similar to this. Most of us here this morning, whether we're married or not, we're very aware of these vows, uh, which I've just recited to you. And this vow is a promise of steadfast love that will endure when we've said these words to our spouse. We're saying that whatever trial may come, we're going to stick it out. And most everyone who starts out in a marriage has the firmest expectation that he or she will be able to honor these vows at any cost. Now there are various interpretations of the data surrounding the divorce rate in this country. Depending on where you look and who you talk to, it's as much as 50 percent or as low as 30 percent. But no matter what it is, it's sufficient to say that it is too high. And among those who are part of the church, it is too high. But divorce is not just a problem of our country, and it's not just a problem of of this age. In some Muslim nations, an increasing trend, a recent trend, has been for men to divorce their wives by way of text message. Muslim law requires that a man declare to his wife that he divorced her three times, and if he does that, the marriage is officially over. And so more and more men are resorting to this method of texting their wives. But the situation in Muslim countries is not so radically different from the situation that Jesus encountered in his own day. There was an influential rabbi who died around the time that Jesus was born who taught that it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife on the slightest of grounds. The declaration of divorce had to be in writing. And so the man was to give his wife a certificate in order to divorce her. And this rabbi based his teachings on divorce on the only passage in the law of Moses to deal with divorce. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1-4. to And so, because of uh, the heart of this man and because of the hearts of the people who listened to him, the focus in Jesus' day was on the writing of the certificate. The belief was, all I need to do to get out of this marriage is write the certificate. And much like in Muslim countries today, uh, the focus is on the sending of the text message. It's the sending of declaring to the wife that the marriage is over. Divorce like this is much easier than getting out of a marriage uh, by moving to the state of Nevada. And because there was no Old Testament law which explicitly forbade divorce, the Israelites took advantage of what they perceived as a loophole. They took advantage of what they saw in God's law and they thought it allowed them to divorce. Divorce. And so men were divorcing their wives on the slightest ground, over the slightest dispute. Now here's what I would ask you to think about as we work our way through this passage, through these two verses. Jesus intends for marriage to be a reflection of his love for the church. He loved the church enough to die for her. Again, Jesus expects for marriage to be a reflection of his love for the church. He loved his church enough to die for her. And again, as this is a short passage, we only uh, divided this up into two two sections. First is the legal notice, verse 31. The second section is divorce as adultery, verse 32. Again, legal notice, verse 31, and divorce as adultery, verse 32. So let's look at this idea of the legal notice. In many ways, it would have made a lot of sense for us to group these two verses with the the verses that preceded it. The verses that we took a look at last week in the sermon on lust. Both passages are concerned with the breaking of the seventh commandment. And in the case of lust, Jesus says that for a man to look with lustful intent upon a woman is for him to already have committed adultery with her in his heart. Lust is marital unfaithfulness. And to persist in this, to persist unabated, to persist without any sort of check, will end in the man being subject to the fires of hell. Well, we recognize, we saw last week, that it's not just men who are capable of this. Anyone who has a human heart is capable of lusting for something which does not belong to them, of coveting someone who does not belong to them. And in our passage this morning, Jesus describes another type of marital unfaithfulness, divorce. And he says in verse 31, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And I want you to notice a difference here. If you look at this verse, at the beginning of this verse, and then you look at verses 21 and 27, you'll see that there's a difference in the way he says it. Here in this verse, he says, It was also said. In verses 21 and 27, and even in verses 33 and 38 and 43, he says, You have heard that it was said. In verse 31 alone, he changes the format. And this is a signal to those who originally heard what Jesus preached. It's a signal that what they have heard is not actually what is found in the pages of the Old Testament. Jesus says, you've heard, uh, it it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is a paraphrase of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. And it is an incorrect paraphrase. It's very similar to the common misquote of 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, which is, money is the root of all evil. That's the common misquote. What does the actual scripture say? It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce is a similar misunderstanding of the passage attempted to be quoted. Here's what Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4 says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife. Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. Now, did you listen to that? Is there any surprise that there was a paraphrase attempted of this passage? It's very difficult for us to to understand. It's very lengthy. It's got if and then statements. It's confusing. But the problem with this paraphrase, and the problem with any paraphrase, really, is that the paraphrase often reflects the person's own bias or preference. And so it's natural for sinful human beings who are looking for an excuse to get out of an unhappy marriage to make a paraphrase of this passage which suits their own needs, their own perceived needs, their own preferences. Deuteronomy 24 verses 1-4 to is saying that if a person gives his wife a certificate of divorce and sends her away and she remarries, and then her second husband divorces her or dies, then the first husband may not remarry her. That's what it's saying. It's not commanding the man to give her a certificate of divorce. The certificate of divorce would say that the man was divorcing his wife and that she was free to marry another. Without the certificate, the woman did not have that freedom. She was at a severe disadvantage compared to the man at that time. Now Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 verse 8 that Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of the Israelites' hearts. And so we understand Jesus is talking about this passage in Deuteronomy 24 and he says that this is a concession on God's part. And this concession by ensuring that there would be a written certificate for the benefit of the wife who's been dismissed this concession was to ensure that she had proof that she could legally remarry. Otherwise, she would be forced to remain unmarried, which is very difficult for a woman in that day. But God's concession was twisted into a command. And you can see this by the way the Pharisees asked Jesus the question in Matthew 19, verse 7. They say, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why did he command? You can see the same attitude in the paraphrase which Jesus quotes in Matthew 5, 31. It was a way out of marriage for a Jewish man in that day. It was a way out. What's more, the phrase in Deuteronomy 24, 1, because he has found some indecency in her, was the phrase interpreted. This is the phrase that that earlier mentioned rabbi interpreted very liberally to allow a man to get out of a marriage for any reason at all. If his wife burned the bread when she was baking it. That was enough ground for this particular rabbi to dismiss her. What do you think men will do (laughs) if given that kind of latitude? What do you think sinful human beings will do? Not just men. If given that kind of latitude, we all will take the loophole when confronted in the right circumstances. It became so abused that men could, under this system, legally divorce their wives for nearly any reason. Well, Westminster Confession of Faith? Chapter 24, section 6 says that the corruption of man is such that we are apt to study arguments unduly to put asunder those whom God hath joined together in marriage. We are apt to study any argument which will unduly put, put asunder what God has joined together. It is part of our sinful human nature. When things don't go our way, even in marriage, we start to think of a way out, don't we? When our spouse doesn't do what we want him or her to do, we get frustrated. We start imagining life without the spouse, the glory days of singlehood. If God's word did not prohibit divorce and the law of our land allowed you to text message divorce to your spouse, how many of us would be on our second or third or fourth marriages? Our passage in Matthew was preached in that kind of context. And in such a context, it would have been easy for a man to look at a woman with lustful intent, as Jesus talked about in that preceding passage, and divorce his wife in order to carry out a relationship with the other woman. Perhaps this is why Jesus treats these two issues side by side. One right after the other. No one who is married will deny that marriage is not challenging. It's extremely challenging. Our hearts are such that if we have a way out, we will try to take it. But Jesus came. He came so that if we repent and believe in him, we will, he will transform us into people who will love him with all of our hearts. who he will love our neighbors, especially our spouses. This is why Jesus came. He made us able to keep the vows, to honor the vows that we have taken. Well, let's turn now and look at section 2, divorce is adultery, verse 32. Jesus has given us the incorrect paraphrase in verse 31, and now in verse 32, He corrects the popular misunderstanding of this passage. He says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now the Jews of that time had been good students of how they might put asunder what God had brought together. They had achieved a very efficient process of divorce, much easier even than the laws in our own states, which allow for a no-fault divorce. And these words of Jesus show God's thoughts on divorce, don't they? When Jesus says what he says in verse 32, we get an understanding of how God feels about divorce. Divorce should be the exception, not the rule. Divorce should be the exception, it is not the command. Jesus takes their wide open highway and narrows it down to a a small footpath as a way of, of getting out of a marriage. And he gives only one reason why divorce may take place. He says it is for, only for sexual immorality. Now this word is an interesting word. It's, it's a word that uh, the Greek word translated sexual, sexual immorality is the word from which our English words fornication and pornography come. And so you can see from these two English words the range of meaning that this one word has. Sexual immorality within marriage would obviously include sexual, rem, sexual relations with someone outside of that marriage. But this provision would also uh, allow a betrothal, which is somewhat like an engagement today, but much more formal. It would allow a betrothal to be broken because of sexual immorality. The betrothal, betrothal in that day was a contract. And so we can see in Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and he doesn't know why... Before he realizes she has has been made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Joseph resigns himself to divorce her quietly. He says he's a just and righteous man. When he finds out the reason for her pregnancy, he changes his mind. Joseph was right, right to do this. we can also look to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where the apostle Paul talks about marriage he doesn't so much add a second biblical reason for divorce as to expand Jesus' reason here 1 Corinthians 7.15 says that in the case of a marriage where one spouse has become a believer but the other hasn't and the unbelieving spouse decides to leave the believing spouse is free to remarry the believing spouse is free the Westminster Confession of Faith calls this willful desertion The believing spouse is free. The marriage bond is broken. Both sexual immorality and desertion are unfaithfulness to the marriage bond. And it is implied that sexual immorality will take place in cases of desertion. That's the implication here. And most people, by extension, within the church hold that physical abuse of a spouse is a form of willful desertion. And this is a proper understanding of this. But what should be remembered here is that in no case does the Bible command divorce to take place. True repentance and forgiveness may take place, even in cases of adultery. The offended spouse, the one who's been sinned against, uh, if her spouse or his spouse is repentant, truly repentant, That offended spouse may choose to forgive. And that is the free choice of that individual. Divorce is never mandated in Scripture. What is happening here is that Jesus is putting a stop to the rampant divorce that is taking place within Judaism. Because people thought, they thought, they misbelieved that there was no specific commandment that prohibited divorce in the Old Testament. But Jesus corrects this. Jesus says that divorce is a violation. It's breaking the seventh commandment. He makes it clear that divorce is a violation of God's law, just like lust is. The people have been taught that it was okay to divorce for virtually any reason. Jesus tells them it's not the case. Divorce breaks the commandment not to commit adultery because it is a violation of the marriage bond. Divorce violates the vows of marriage. And so verse 32 says that when a man divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, he makes her commit adultery. Now, a possible, more literal way to translate this this phrase is that in divorcing his wife, he makes her to be adulterated. That's a much more difficult way of, of reading it. The verb for adultery here is passive, which means that it's being done to the wife. In Mark chapter ten, verse eleven, and Luke chapter sixteen, verse eighteen, make it clear that the husband who divorces his wife and remarries another commits adultery. And while in Judaism at this time, a wife rarely has the was able to obtain a divorce. It was not her right to obtain a divorce. In rare circumstances could a wife do this. It was possible for her to create an environment within the marriage that made her husband want to seek a divorce. And this may be what is implied here in this in the last sentence in verse 32 where Jesus says and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It is not hard to imagine a situation in which a wife becomes unhappy in her marriage and finds another man who makes her happy and then makes her husband unhappy enough to divorce her. And then legally by the standards of that day she's free to remarry. The point here is that Jesus is condemning divorces of convenience. It was God who instituted marriage in Genesis. And it was God who gives the reason why marriages may be broken up. If we enter into the covenant of marriage, believing that divorce is an option, if we think it's something that we may do if things should get difficult, then we will look to divorce as the answer when things inevitably become difficult. They will be difficult in marriage. If divorce is an option, it is an option. Jesus is the bridegroom of his church. The church is his bride. We are betrothed to him. What if Jesus gave up on us as easily as we so often wanna give up on our spouses? Jesus doesn't need to study arguments to put this betrothal asunder. We have broken our commitment to him in numerous ways, over and over again. We wantonly pursue other gods. We have deserted him in a thousand ways. And yet he is faithful. He is faithful to us when we are unfaithful to him. He honors the marriage covenant even when we break it time after time. But he doesn't allow us to persist in our unfaithfulness, does he? Even now, He is sanctifying us by His Holy Spirit. Even now, He makes us want to be in this relationship with Him. He is transforming us into His spotless bride. And if you want a graphic description of what Jesus has done for us, read the book of Hosea. He has redeemed us out of our harlotry and is teaching us how to be His beloved. In a few minutes, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this meal is a reminder it's a regular reminder that we are the betrothed of the lord it reminds us that despite our unfaithfulness to us jesus will honor his vows jesus will keep the covenant and he will do this for us again and again when we are unfaithful to him If you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have repented of your sins, He has given you the ability to honor your marriage vows. What might have seemed impossible to you before is possible for you now. And let me add this. While Jesus speaks in the strongest possible terms against divorce, He wants marriages to stay together. We need to remember, we need to be reminded that divorce is not the unpardonable sin even though it is often treated that way in the church, it is not. God will forgive. It is a sin like any other. And if, he is, and if we repent of it, and we believe in Jesus, he is faithful to forgive us. If you are divorced and remarried, this passage is not saying that you are living in a perpetual state of adultery. God's grace is sufficient even for divorce, just as it is sufficient for any manner of sin. What this passage teaches you, what it teaches me, is that we are bound to honor the vows that we have taken for the present marriage that we're in. Delight in the wife of your youth, delight in the husband of your youth. Jesus Christ died and was raised again in part so that you and I could become able to honor the vows that we have taken in marriage. And so I call upon you to honor those vows, both to your spouse and to the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Father, we pray that even as we feel the sting of these words, even as we recognize in our own hearts how unfaithful we have been, both to our spouses, those of us who are married, both to you. We thank you, O Lord, for the grace that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, dear Lord, that you are faithful to us and that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, that we would vow anew today to honor you In all that we do, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response is hymn number 420. Uh, Please stand as we sing hymn number 420, At the Lamb's High Feast we sing.
1: feast we sing. Praise to our victorious King who has washed us in the tide flowing from his pierced side. Praise we him whose love divine gives his sacred Archangel sheathes his sword, Israel's host triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Praise we Christ, whose blood was shed.
0: We